Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled An Eye Toward Improving the Management of Diabetic Macular Edema, Diagnosis and Shared Decision-Making. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Welcome, I'm Dr. Diana Doe, Professor of Ophthalmology and Vice Chair of Clinical Affairs at the Byers Eye Institute at Stanford University. Today, we'll be using a case-based approach to identifying patients with center-involved diabetic macular edema and identify those patients who may benefit from intravitreal anti-VEGF therapies. Let's start off with a brief case vignette. I'd like to introduce you to Jane. She's a 62-year-old female with type 2 diabetes who was recently seen by her optometrist for an annual screening exam. At the exam, Jane complained of new-onset decreased vision in her left eye. At that visit, she was found to have new significant vision loss in the affected left eye, and she was referred for retinal evaluation. In our initial assessment of patients with diabetic retinopathy and diabetic macular edema, there are several key steps. Visual acuity is always assessed, intraocular pressure is taken, and careful evaluation of the anterior segment of the eye is also performed to look for any other causes of visual impairment. In addition, a dilated fundus examination to carefully evaluate the retina is essential to view the peripheral retina and also the macular region. In addition to the examination, several key ancillary imaging tests are also utilized in the retina specialist's office. OCT is the most widely performed imaging test to evaluate the macular region. In addition, color fundus photography, fluorescein angiography, or even ultrasound of the eye can be helpful in certain situations. Now let's go back to Jane. After taking Jane's history and performing a detailed examination, I also obtained OCT scans of the macular region. Here's the image from Jane's OCT. We see that there clearly is center-involved diabetic macular edema with significant thickening through the foveal region. In summary, there are a number of useful ancillary imaging tests that are readily available at the retina specialist's office, with OCT imaging being the most useful. By using OCT, we can identify center-involved diabetic macular edema and follow the patient's course after therapy. Based on my evaluation of the patient Jane, I confirmed the diagnosis of diabetic macular edema on OCT. In our next session, we'll review the guidelines for treatment of diabetic macular edema and also look at all the options for patients with diabetic macular edema. Welcome back. In the previous session, we discussed how to evaluate patients and diagnose diabetic macular edema. In this session, we'll review guideline recommendations for the treatment options of diabetic macular edema. Let's revisit the patient case with Jane. Jane has center-involved diabetic macular edema, which was confirmed both on clinical examination and OCT imaging. Let's now discuss 
her treatment options. The American Academy of Ophthalmology has specific guideline recommendations for diabetic macular edema. The recommendations include first-line therapy with intravitreal anti-VEGF agents. In addition, intravitreal steroids may be an option as a second-line agent for the treatment of diabetic macular edema. And finally, focal laser photocoagulation, which is not routinely used, may be an also a third-line option for some patients who do not have center-involved diabetic macular edema. Let's review the available anti-VEGF therapies for diabetic macular edema. First, there's bevacizumab, which is off-label use, and this can be administered every month to help decrease diabetic macular edema. In addition, we have many FDA-approved therapies, such as ranibizumab, which is dosed monthly, brolicizumab, which is dosed less frequently, but due to safety concerns such as elevated in rates of intraocular inflammation, retinal vasculitis, and retinal artery occlusion, brolicizumab is not commonly used for diabetic macular edema anymore. Furthermore, we have a Flibercept 2 milligrams, which can be dosed every two months for the treatment of diabetic macular edema. More recently, we have the FDA approval of a Flibercept 8 milligrams, which can be dosed every 12 weeks or every 16 weeks after three initial monthly doses. And finally, we have furisimab, which is also FDA-approved and can be dosed every 8, 12, or 16 weeks for the treatment of diabetic macular edema. Let's now discuss corticosteroids as a treatment option for diabetic macular edema. Several intravitreal steroids are also FDA-approved and have shown to be efficacious in reducing macular edema. However, these steroids also have potential safety concerns, such as cataract progression or elevated IOP and progression to glaucoma if administered more frequently. In summary, we've discussed the different treatment options for diabetic macular edema, including first-line therapy with intravitreal VEGF inhibitors. After discussing these options with our patient, Jane, she knew that intravitreal VEGF inhibitors were the best therapy for her eye condition. In our next session, we'll be reviewing both the efficacy and safety data of the new longer-acting VEGF inhibitors that were just FDA-approved. In the last session, we reviewed guideline recommendations and approved treatment options for diabetic macular edema. In this session, we'll discuss the efficacy and safety of longer-acting anti-VEGF agents for diabetic macular edema. Let's recap where we left off with our patient, Jane. Jane has center-involved diabetic macular edema, which was diagnosed on both clinical examination and OCT imaging. We discussed with Jane the different anti-VEGF agents that were available. Now let's narrow down these choices based on her preferences, which are to have efficacious treatment with fewer injections over time. Jane also expressed concerns about potential side effects. Before returning to Jane's case, let's hear about some of your patients' treatment concerns. Let's review the Photon clinical trial, which evaluated a Flibercept 8 milligrams to a Flibercept 2 milligrams. In this study, 
eyes that were randomized to a filibercept 8 milligrams, whether dosed every 12 weeks or every 16 weeks, had non-inferior visual acuity gains compared to 2 milligrams of a filibercept. Let's look at brolocizumab. In their pivotal clinical trials, brolocizumab also was non-inferior to a filibercept 2 milligrams, and a brolocizumab could be dosed less frequently. Let's now look at furisumab. In their clinical trials, evaluating that agent compared to a flibercept 2 milligrams, furisumab was non-inferior and can be dosed less frequently. Now let's look at safety of anti-VEGF agents. Common non-serious adverse events that are related with intravitreal anti-VEGF agents include subconjunctival hemorrhage, brief eye pain, transient floaters, and transient increases in intraocular pressure. However, more serious adverse events also need to be evaluated and monitored, which could include intraocular inflammation, retinal tears or retinal detachment, and retinal vasculitis or retinal artery occlusion. Let's take a closer look at intraocular inflammation associated with intravitreal VEGF inhibitors for diabetic macular edema. A flibercept, ranibizumab, furisumab, or bevacizumab have very low rates of intraocular inflammation in their clinical trials. Brolocizumab, which is also FDA-approved, had higher rates of intraocular inflammation. But more importantly, brolocizumab was associated with rates of retinal vasculitis and retinal artery occlusion. In summary, we discussed with Jane, our patient, the approved anti-VEGF agents with an extended dosing interval. In this next session, we'll discuss how to assess patient adherence and facilitate shared decision-making. Welcome back. In our previous session, we discussed longer-acting anti-VEGF therapies for diabetic macular edema. In this session, we'll discuss patient adherence and shared decision-making. Let's recap where we left off with our patient, Jane. Jane has center-involved diabetic macular edema, and we discussed the treatment options involving intravitreal VEGF inhibitors with extended dosing intervals. We also emphasized to Jane the importance of adherence to therapy. Jane, our patient, has expressed concern about being able to come back frequently for evaluation and treatment. Let's hear about your patient's adherence. Anti-VEGF therapy can present a treatment burden both to patients and their caregivers. Barriers to treatment adherence include disruption to work schedules, travel and costs associated with therapies, the time commitment involved, and the fear of adverse events related to injections. When we look at the compliance between diabetic macular edema and wet age-related macular degeneration, we actually find that patients with diabetic macular edema have poor compliance compared to macular degeneration. When looking at a flibercept 8 milligrams, we can see that this agent can provide extended dosing intervals. In fact, 88% of flibercept 8 milligram eyes randomized to every 12 weeks, could maintain this dosing interval through two years. In fact, even 84% of aflibercept 8-milligram patients 
could be maintained on dosing intervals of 16 weeks through two years, leaving a combination of 89% of a Flibercept 8 milligram treated eyes going 12 weeks or beyond through two years of treatment. In addition, furisimab also is a treatment option with extended dosing intervals. We saw through the Yosemite and Rhine clinical trials that approximately 51% of furisimab-treated eyes could be dosed 16 weeks. When we communicate with patients with diabetic macular edema, it's important to have a discussion about adherence. New agents with extended treatment intervals can decrease the burden associated with anti-VEGF therapies. In addition, it's extremely important to educate patients about compliance with their systemic diabetes and decreasing their blood sugars to prevent further damage from diabetic retinopathy. And finally, educating patients with ocular imaging and showing them the effects before and after treatment can also motivate them to stay adherent with their therapies. In summary, agents with an extended treatment interval are important and can reduce the treatment burden associated with anti-VEGF therapies. Jane, our patient, was interested in trying these new anti-VEGF agents that could be efficacious with less frequent injections. In our next session, we'll actually hear from a real patient with diabetic macular edema who has received anti-VEGF therapy, and we'll learn from her about her concerns before she started this therapy. Thank you for following the story of our patient, Jane, who has diabetic macular edema. In this next session, we'll hear from a real patient who has diabetic macular edema and who is undergoing intravitreal anti-VEGF therapy. First, let's hear about your experience with patients and what questions they ask before initiating therapy for their diabetic macular edema. Hello, I'm Cynthia Doherty. I live in Carmel, Indiana, which is just north of Indianapolis. I'm a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and a retired RN. I became a type 1 insulin diabetic about 30 years ago. I take insulin through an insulin pump. I test my blood sugars two to four times a day. Twelve years ago, I started to notice my vision was blurry, and I was seeing wavy lines with things that should be straight. I went to my ophthalmologist, and he took some photos of my eyes, and he told me I needed to see a retina specialist. A couple of weeks later, the specialist looked at the photos of my eyes. He diagnosed me with diabetic retinopathy with macular edema. He showed me a diagram of an eye and what was happening. I would lose my sight, or I could decide to take eye injections, but the decision was mine. Blindness was not an option for me. It was too much at risk. I had a grandchild that was due very soon, and I did not want to miss meeting her or seeing even one part of her life. She was my motivation. I made the decision to take the treatment that day, and I was instructed I would go every week and every other week, then monthly, and now I go every four to six weeks. I am a nurse, and I was not afraid of needles because I do that in treatment of my diabetes. But getting them in my eye... It was different. Still, I decided to do it. One of my concerns was I worked 
and I wasn't sure how the appointments would work with my schedule. However, my employer was very supportive. I worked Monday through Wednesday, and I would schedule my appointments on the days I was not working. After the check-in, I go to a room and have pictures taken of both of my eyes with a special photo machine. This is done so the doctor can see the edema and whether it is getting better or worse. Now I get my vision tested and then I receive drops to test for glaucoma. My last vision test was 20 to 40 in the left eye and 20 and 20 in my right. Then I get eye drops to numb my eyes in preparation for my injections. The doctor looks at the results of my eye photos and talks to me about my progress. I would encourage doctors to do that rather than go straight into the room and do injections. When it is time for the injections, I take a couple of relaxation breaths to ease my anxiety. The doctor is very calm, he's gentle, and very quick. After the injections, all I can see is a temporary blob of white light that makes it very hard to see. The technician then does a saline flush to both eyes, which is very soothing. The time frame from check-in to check-out is usually 30 to 45 minutes. My husband is my best support person. He takes me to my appointments, but after all these years, he still can't watch. Treating my eye disease is truly a marriage between getting the eye injections and managing my diabetes. Some things that I do to help with my diabetic macular edema and my diabetes is I test my blood sugar two to four times a day. I go to the diabetic doctor every three months. I keep my hemoglobin A1C below 7.0. I eat a healthy diet limiting carbs and sugars. I see my retina specialist every four to six weeks, and I use relaxation methods. It's important to introduce the injection process to your patients, explain what will happen, and how you'll help manage their discomfort. It's also important to educate your patients on the warning signs of serious side effects, for example, if they suddenly notice new vision loss. I'm so grateful I made the decision to get the injections. I believe that is why 12 years later, I can still see. One positive thing that I have gained from this is that I do not take sight for granted, and I am truly grateful for that. Thank you. We've covered a lot of information in this educational program. The key take-home points include that anti-VEGF therapies can present a treatment burden both to patients and their caregivers. However, with the advent of new anti-VEGF therapies with extended dosing intervals, this burden can be lessened while obtaining efficacious visual acuity gains and excellent safety outcomes. Thank you again for joining us at this program. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials complete the post-test, and get a certificate.